The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Cover story. Cover a story or attain that coveted story. Get it? That is exactly what you want. Quoted as the expert. The story. Headline. The spin. Every week, join us to talk about all things important to relating to the public. Your public. Craft your image. Promote your products. Create expert status. Become the buzz. Join us with the pros. PR 101. Crisis management. Media blitzing. It's all here on Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Now, Cover Story presents exclusive coverage of the 2009 PRSA Silver Anvil Awards. Please welcome your host, Brandy Shapiro Babin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cover Story. This is Brandy Shapiro Babin of WebmasterRadio.fm, and we have continuing coverage of the Public Relations Society of America's Silver Anvil Awards series. And our featured guests today are Laura McDonald. She's a project director for San Diego Gas and Electric, and also Chris Wall, who is with Southwest Strategies. And this is for their submission, Sunrise PowerLink, Our Connection to a Clean Energy Future. Welcome, Chris and Laura. Hi there. Hi. How are you? Very well. Good, thanks. Sunny in San Diego here. Sunny in San Diego. I know. Sunny in South Florida, too. We love that. So, my goodness. So, Chris, tell us a, a little bit about you, your background. I have to say, you know, you, you got the submission for, for the Silver Anvil, but you are not new to the Silver Anvil series. No, actually, um, we're very fortunate. Our company, Southwest Strategies, here in San Diego, has been nominated uh, for work that we've done with our clients two years in a row now. And uh, we actually have two submissions as finalists in this year's Silver Anvil, so we're very excited about that. And uh, PRSA has been a great opportunity for many of our colleagues and our employees here to learn more about the industry and participate in what it has to offer. That's so great. And this year you were named, quote, a mover to watch by the San Diego Metropolitan Magazine. That is true. And so then, of course, I have to ask the obnoxious question of, in the same publication, you were also named one of the top 40 professionals in San Diego under 40 in 2005? That's right. We do a lot of advertising in that or in that public. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was an honor. And uh, uh, we can only do these kinds of things, though, and you can only be recognized for that kind of work, though, if you've got good clients. So no, we, we, uh, we appreciate all the work that we do with our great clients. Which is awesome. Are you still under 40? Uh, I am, actually, for a few more years. Woohoo! Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> and Laura, uh, I mean, this is so exciting. So when this project actually initiated... You were a project manager, and now you are a project director. Indeed. I was very excited, actually, in the, in the middle of the project to have received a promotion. So I, I'm, I'm pleased to say I am a director. Um, and it's, it's been a, a terrific project and exciting and I, very exciting for a woman in the gas and electric industry to have been selected to manage and or direct a large infrastructure project. So it's fun on many levels, and it's been a great experience. 
good for you. Good for you. And take us back. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I joined uh, San Diego Gas and Electric back in 2000, uh, right in the middle of the energy crisis. So I got thrown into an exciting time in California to be in the gas and electric industry. Um, started out as a public affairs manager uh, for the city and the county of San Diego, and then uh, was tapped to manage the Sunrise PowerLink project and then uh, obviously became a director in the middle of that. And then prior to joining SDG&E, I was the chief of staff for a San Diego City Council member for eight years, which was an exciting time, um, and then was thrilled to um, join the public affairs team at San Diego Gas and Electric. Yay, and here we are today, nominees for the Silver Anvil Awards. Let's talk about... We're thrilled. Yeah, I bet you are. And it sounds like you guys have like a great partnership, you know, between yourself yourself and and Southwest Strategies. We're very fortunate to work with Southwest Strategies. We've had a long relationship with them. Um, We work very closely with Chris. And, you know, frankly, on several very large projects that we've had in the company over um, years, we, we could not have gotten as far as we did without their guidance and support and, frankly, friendship. Um, mm-hmm. Chris is a great friend to all of us, but we do have a terrific relationship, and I, and I credit a lot of the work that was done by Chris's firm for where we are today and getting the project approved. And more importantly, being nominated for a Silver Anvil is fantastic for us. That is. That's so exciting. Nice. Are you blushing, Chris? Uh, a little bit, yeah. It's, you can't see for Oh, us. he knows. Don't let him blush. He knows. <laughs> but that's nice. It's so nice to hear positive things, you know, between, you know, clients. Um, so let's talk about the overview, because this is an interesting and, and fairly complex project that was under, you know, that you undertook. Yeah, I'll just, yeah, I'll you, just know, say, you know, oh, no sorry. doubt. Oh, uh, I was just going to say, Laura, you know, our firm is oh, very you, lucky, as, as Laura oh, said. Can you pause one second? A lot of very complex project well, wait, wait. with SDG&E, and Chris, hold on. Uh, this this was a very complex well, project from start to finish. <laughs> well, Chris, we talked. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we were trying to say because when you guys uh, both talked over each other, I was going to ask if you could just pause and then start back up again. Sorry. Sure. Sorry about that. That's okay. Not a problem. I was just going to say that uh, it, it, this was a very complex project from the get-go. Uh, you think of, of the land use challenges that you face in a place like California. There are, are very limited opportunities to build a major transmission line because so much of California is, is already developed. So when you think about starting in one spot of California and going east to west 125 miles or more, and thinking about trying to minimize impacts to the environment and to the communities that surround this line, it's really an overwhelming task from the, just from the get-go. So San Diego Gas and Electric, um, also known as SDG&E, is responsible for delivering safe and reliable natural gas and electric service to more than 1.3 million customers in San Diego and southern Orange counties. As part of this responsibility, involves building the needed infrastructure, power plants, and transmission lines to support the system. In 2005, SDG&E announced plans to build a 125-mile, 500,000-volt transmission line called the Sunrise Power Link. The line was proposed to alter solar and wind power in Imperial County and transport it into San Diego County. Despite the green aspects of the line, the project would become one of the most controversial and hard-fought infrastructure project in California's history. And I mean, it literally, it goes on about 
how what you guys needed to do to adopt people within the community within within legislation to um to get on board with you so that you know solar power and and green would be accessible to people in your region yeah and you know it, chris is correct i i think anytime especially in california when you try and build an infrastructure project and it could be a gas line, a water line, a road, a toll road, or in our case, an electric transmission line. It's very, very, very difficult in California to build anything. But when you're looking at a 125-mile transmission line sure. through two counties um, and, and, frankly, through some sensitive habitat lands, you run across land use issues um, that, you know, frankly, from a from a NIMBY standpoint, nobody wants to see projects like that built. And in California, it's especially difficult to do so with the environmental regulations that we have. And I think that when we started this project, we knew it would be difficult, and especially in a time where we were building the line for reliability to keep the lights on in San Diego, and then also this really terrific added benefit, which would be to bring in renewable energy from the Imperial Valley, it, it became kind of a lightning rod for the environmental community and, frankly, for the, the folks that live in San Diego to make a decision and to see the, the need for a project like this and see the benefits of it, but then really try and balance that against the many folks that don't want to ever see anything built in California. And so it was an exciting project, but it, it, it's, it's been a five-year challenge that, um, you know, frankly took every effort we had in terms of public outreach and public education to get folks to see and recognize and understand the need for this project. Absolutely. I mean, and let me ask you a question because it, it, you know, it it was a very sort of paradoxical project because on one hand, you know, it's this positive go green, and you've got you know Governor Schwarzenegger, who I mean, that was like his his biggest commitment to the state was for everything to be you know very eco friendly and go green. But then, like you said, you know, here you've got I mean, it, it sounds very imposing, 125 feet of line, and so changing. Public, I mean, this, so a lot of this had to do with changing public opinion, creating education and awareness and adoption so that everyone was on the same page. Let's talk about how you manage that. Chris? Well, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start on this, and Laura can chime in as mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, ultimately, kind of fast forward to the final decision uh, in, Jan- in December of, of last year for the, when the Public Utilities Commission of California approved the line. I think the reason that we were able to win and the reason we were able to get the success and support of the decision makers was because we won the public policy argument that this project was going to, in fact, deliver green renewable power uh, to metropolitan area of San Diego and Southern California, for that matter. Everybody loves the concept, as Laura said, of going green, as you said. But the problem that is that building a, you need to, in most cases, build a long transmission line in the energy world to get to those places where those renewable resources are. And unless you can make a clear, convincing, and compelling argument that you're actually doing that, I think decision makers are very reticent to give the go-ahead or the green light to proceed. And I, and I think we did. I think we did a good job of, of making, giving folks uh, a decision between building new power plants to right. meet that projected energy-growing mm-hmm. demand or to, to access green power. 
So let's talk about, um, if you would, you know, so we understand the research, we understand the, the need. Now, what are the things that you did to change that public perception and, and create that public policy? Well, I think the, the number one thing that we did, it's it's always best in an environment in California, and, and certainly when you work for a, a company like San Diego Gas and Electric, to be able to have third-party voices who will stand up and support your efforts and stand up and along with you or separate from you, be willing to go out and speak on your behalf. And and one of the great things we did on this project that that made a huge difference in the outcome in getting this project approved was creating two uh, third-party coalitions. One, a local coalition uh, based primarily in San Diego and Southern Orange Counties, which was the uh, um, Community Alliance for the Sunrise Powerlink, or CASP, and then we created a second statewide coalition, which was the uh, Californians for Clean and Reliable Energy. And with the help of Southwest Strategies and other consulting firms that we had working with us, those two coalitions took on really a terrific job in helping us sell this project, both on a local and a statewide effort. And we had um, thousands of supporters, folks that were would send letters, make phone calls, travel to San Francisco to the Public Utilities Commission on our behalf, who would go to Washington, D.C. and lobby for the project, go to Sacramento and lobby for the project. We had a tremendous effort to have these third-party voices out helping to sell a project and try and get it outside of just the discussion of the route or outside just the discussion of kind of the, the NIMBY voices who just frankly don't want anything built. And we went to the business community. I mean, the statewide uh, uh, coalition was led by Alan Zarenberg, who is the CEO of the California Chamber of Commerce, a huge, huge business organization for us. In San Diego, the coalition was led by the San Diego Chamber of Commerce, San Diego Economic Development Corporation, um, Biocom, which is a, a, a terrific uh, biotech trade organization in San Diego, and many, many others who really took on the, the job on their own, helping us sell this project and the benefits of this project. And frankly, we could not have done it without the support of those coalitions standing behind us. Which is terrific. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that's a resounding theme, you know, that, that we've been hearing a lot on, on Cover Story and Webmaster Radio as a whole, is the third-party endorsements, truly, I mean, are, are so important today because sometimes when companies stand up and they speak for themselves, I mean, it's important when you have data to support it. But when you have other people in the community standing up, it almost, it makes it, it makes it okay, right? Like, yeah, no, no doubt. And I'll just tag on to what you're saying there. And what, what Laura said is, is that, you know, the, the, what the coalitions did and the people that comprise the coalitions was they provided uh, the human face to the project so that it wasn't just a utility talking about it, but it was real live people who stood to benefit from the benefits of increased re- reliable power and renewable power. One of the most powerful things, as Laura mentioned, was that people testified before the Public Utilities Commission and took time out of their day and their schedule, busy schedules to go up to San Francisco to discuss the project with them. And, you know, bringing the renewable developers, people that had a stake in the game or skin in the game, if you will, mm-hmm. 
in, from Imperial Valley that said, hey, if this transmission line's built, we will build solar plants. And if this transmission line's built, we will pr- proceed with geothermal facilities because we know the resources are there, but right now we have no way to get it to market. So if you allow this transmission line to get built, we as renewable developers will do our part to make this happen for California. Well, and, and, you know, it's interesting. When we first proposed this project five years ago, we did not anticipate, frankly, that the green energy, clean energy, renewable energy um, goals of the state of California and, frankly, the the nation were going to take center stage right in the middle of this project. And it could not have happened at a better time. And we knew in the beginning that this line would access renewable energy, and we knew it was important to us as a company, and we wanted to be able to bring that clean energy into San Diego for our customers, and we knew the state was moving in that direction. But frankly, in that five years, we saw a tremendous shift towards this clean energy future that everybody wants to see happen. And we became, quite frankly, the poster child for making those mandates and making those laws and everybody's goals come true, frankly, in California. Mm-hmm. And those two coalitions were able to go out there and help sell that message. And as Chris mentioned in the Imperial Valley, well, this is a this is a valley that is is tremendously rich in renewable resources. And they have geothermal energy, which is a natural resource here in the Imperial Valley, out in the Salton Sea region. You have sun. All day long, trust me, I'm here right now. It's about 105 degrees outside. The sun, <laughs> tremendous sun. Mm-hmm. They have wind resources. Eventually, there'll be a lot of wind down here. They have biomass and algae. I mean, it's a tremendous resource here. It's also the county that has the highest unemployment rate of any county in the entire country. Really? And now it's why? A, just a tremendous time to bring all these pieces together and to be able to turn kind of the San Diego, Baja, California, Imperial Valley region into really what it can be, which is the renewable energy capital of the world. You know what? I think there's someone that's even more excited. I Your good works um, managed to make its way to the White House, if I'm not mistaken. We have a lot of attention on our project. I just came back from a, a, a week in Washington, D.C. with some of our folks, and we took a couple of renewable energy developers with us um, to help as those third-party voices, and we made our way throughout Washington, D.C., talking about the project. We were excited to learn that, you know, the secretaries of um, energy, interior, and agriculture, which are three really key agencies in the Obama administration, looking at renewable energy projects together all collectively told us that Sunrise PowerLink is on the tops of the the agenda for each of those agencies and you know the White House is committed to seeing these projects go forward um, just yesterday the Secretary of Interior uh, Ken Salazar gave a speech at the Wind Energy Association annual meeting and said that you know they're going to do everything they can to use federal lands to make sure that these renewable projects can get built and that they're committed to doing everything they can to make that happen. And, you know, frankly, Sunrise PowerLink needs the help of those agencies because we do cross federal lands. The um, renewable projects that we have will be using federal lands. 
And so for us to be able to have that support in Washington and to have folks like them talking about our project and how important it is, is, is huge. I mean, frankly, our, I, I say all the time our little transmission line in San Diego has become the poster child, frankly, for how you build transmission lines, hopefully get them approved in the future faster than it would, what it took us to get it approved. But we brought to the attention of many people why you need to build these transmission lines to get this renewable energy in. And it's not just us. I mean, it's happening all over the country, and it's happening in the state of California and other areas. But we're the only ones that sit here today with an approved project to build a transmission line that will bring in, you know, a thousand megawatts of renewable energy. And that's fantastic. Which, you know what? A, it is fantastic. B, I think your energy could power like the rest of the United <laughs> States. My power uh, can, my, my energy can sometimes frighten people also. No, but, it's all oh, good. Oh, it's me. You know, I'm in this, I'm in the public affairs and communications hey, business. I mean, hey. frankly, you know, SDG&E chose not only a woman for this job, but they chose a non-engineer. I mean, it's the first time ever in a project like this that they chose a non-engineer yeah. to manage a, a major infrastructure project because I had a public affairs and political background and the company recognized that it was more important in the beginning to get the project approved and then turn it over to the, the smart people, as I say, no, who can then go true. and build the, the engineer it and get it built. Well, but there's but a difference. I, I frankly had so much fun working with Chris and others to, to just get the project licensed. And as long as it was, and, and frankly, it, you know, it shouldn't take five years to get a project like this approved anywhere. But that's but we reality. learned a lot of really great lessons. Well, and, you know, I mean, so... A, first of all, I do think like kudos because I'm all about girl power. And I think it takes a real person to be able to enroll and persuade people, engineers, albeit all smart, not trying to stereotype all engineers, but don't always have that, you know, that capability. And Chris, I wanted to ask you a question. You know, we, we, you know, we've listened. I mean, wow. You know, you guys are now considered to be the poster child for you guys are now considered to be, you know, the poster child for renewable energy and all of the fabulous Ford, um, you know, Ford progress that you've made. And now you can look at it and go, hey, you know, it's a snap. It's pretty cool. You know, everyone loves us. We love us. We're doing positive things. But what were some of the hardest obstacles to overcome and how did you really overcome them? Well, sure. I, I you know, I, I think that... Um there were two specifically that come to mind. Uh, the first was, as I mentioned earlier, convincing people that San Diego Gas and Electric's commitment to fill the transmission line with renewable power was real. And I believe that we were able to overcome that by addressing the issues that undercut our credibility, which were that we could show that we were going to do that. Uh, SCG&E really stepped up. Uh, from a policy standpoint, as you may know, the state of California has on the books that uh, 20% of power that comes from utilities um, by the year 2020 uh, has to come in the form of renewable power. Uh, the the SDG was the first utility, and, the, and their CEO stepped up and said in a public hearing, we're going to do better than that. We're going to shoot for 33%. And I think that that really... Um, put the decision-makers back on their heels, and they said, wow, you know, we can't afford not to approve this line because that is the type of commitment they were able to make. And having the third parties echo that, I think, really helped us put us over the top. The second issue that was extremely challenging, and Laura can talk to this as well, is that, 
you know, I think from the get-go, most people, even our strongest and most staunch opponents, said that they felt that the project was needed. The challenge was, how do you find a route that offends the least amount of people? And originally, SDG&E had proposed a route that went through the Anza Borrego Desert State Park, and it made all the sense in the world from a practical standpoint, right. because there was an existing transmission line that, that's, that goes through there, and there was an existing easement and right-of-way that they would have placed there, and nobody lives there. But from a political standpoint, it just wasn't palatable, and people were not going to accept that, and decision makers at the state level were not going to be the ones that had approved a transmission line through the park. And so despite our best efforts to, to communicate and um, explain why that route was best, uh, we made efforts to try to find another route. And at the commission's dis, uh, dis- direction, we looked and worked really hard to try to find a route to the south of that, that would work. And to the engineer's credit mm-hmm. at SDG&E, they found that route. That's and awesome. they, they delivered on that. Yeah, and not in my backyard. That's right. <laughs> well, and in the end, I think it became more important that we get a line built because we truly need it from a reliability standpoint and to meet these state mandates, especially the 20% by 2010 and then the 33% uh, renewable uh, mandates, that in the end it became more important that we get a line built and less important about where it went as long as it was a line that would meet our project objectives. Right, and because so, aren't there, there's like 40, isn't there, there, there's 47 lines in California, correct? Correct. And you guys had one line previously, correct? Right. We have one 500 kV line that was built Mm -hmm. 26 years ago. Right. uh, Also originates in the Imperial Valley and runs into San Diego. It was built 26 years ago. And if you can imagine the growth that we've seen in San Mm -hmm. Diego in 26 years, it's frankly time to build a second line and to make sure that we can keep the lights on in the future. And I would say that another statistic is that in Phoenix, Arizona, which is a city similar in size to San Diego, they have seven 500 kV lines, and right. we have one. Right, right. But and now, but it's, now, it's scary. If you if you mm-hmm. are the folks running San Diego Gas and Electric, it makes you nervous every summer that we still rely on one major transmission line, one 500 kV line, to keep the lights on year and year after year after year. So, you know, first and foremost, it, it, it's about reliability. And then, you know, obviously this really tremendous added benefit, which is we can bring in the renewable energy. You know, I always get a kick out of the word poster child. But you know what? Congratulations on being, you know, truly the poster children for renewable energy and helping it to make, make it an easier process for other states to adopt this. So not only have you gifted the residents in, in your region, but you're also helping residents, you know, countrywide. So I want to thank you very much, Laura McDonald, Project Director for SDG&E, and Chris Wall from Southwest Strategies. Thank you both for being on the show with me today. Thanks a lot, Thank you very much. We're very excited by the nomination, so thank you. Stay tuned for more 2009 PRSA Silver Anvil Awards coverage, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Stick around. Cover story. We'll be back after this short break. 
This is a test of the PR Web content and news delivery system from PR Web and PRWebAuthor.com. If this was a real release date, your story would reach more than 30,000 journalists, 250,000 RSS subscribers, and just over 30,000 unique websites. PR Web can reach your target audience online, drive traffic to your website, achieve high rankings on search engines, and get your content on top news sites like Yahoo News. Editors are available 24-7 to help you optimize your content for maximum exposure to over 70 million people in the U.S. alone. If this were a real PR web release date, your website would have so much traffic, you'd be tempted to duck and cover. If you have an online marketing emergency, go to prwebauthor.com for 25% off. PR Web, the premier online release news and content distribution service. Friend Finder. Friend Finder. The world's largest online dating network. Featuring over 100 million profiles at hot sites such as Passion.com and FastCupid.com. Represents enormous profit-making opportunities for webmasters just like you. With Friend Finder's ability to geo-target and provide billing solutions in most languages and currencies, you are sure to find our comprehensive network to be a good friend to your wallet. Wallet. Get more traffic-maximizing details now at FriendFinder.com. Here's your bill. Thank you so much, guys. Hey, it's all right. I'll take care of the tab, Jason. Well, thanks, Dave. How are you doing so well these days? It seems everyone's in a pinch for cash. RevenueWire.com, that's how. RevenueWire? Yeah, RevenueWire.com is an all-in-one platform offering affiliates high-demand software from top-notch PC utility merchants. With 75% commissions, twice-monthly payouts, incredibly accurate analytics tools, RevenueWire is making me more money today than I did in the last few years put together. Even in this economy? Especially in this economy. RevenueWire has a ton of great products to meet the demand. I'm telling you, this network is recession-proof. RevenueWire, the recession-proof network platform. For more information, visit RevenueWire.com today. That's RevenueWire.com. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the entertainment channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Commercials off. Now back to Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Only on Webmaster Radio.fm. Here's your host. Welcome back to our exclusive coverage of the 2009 PRSA Silver Anvil Awards. Once again, here's Brandy Shapiro Babin. We are continuing our coverage of the Public Relations Society of America's 2009 Silver Anvil Awards, and we are uber super excited to have with us today Michael Slayton, Vice President and Senior Partner for Fleischman Hillard, and Lynette McIntyre, who is Director of Corporate Reputation Management for UPS. Um, Their title is Brown Goes Green, Telling the UPS Environmental Story, uh, 2C Reputation and Brand Management with Companies with Sales Over $10 Billion. So this is inspiring people, company with $10 billion, the company is live and well. so I'd like to welcome, welcome, Michael and Lynette. Thank, Thank you very you, much. We're glad to be here. Yay. This is, well, first of all, congratulations on your nomination. It's great to be honored by our peers. Thank you. Isn't yes, that thank like you the, very much. Yeah, I mean, isn't this a great thing? I mean, awards are fabulous to begin with. But it is so nice when you are honored by a group of your peers because they're your hardest, harshest critics. 
It's oh so true. So I really appreciate the fact that uh, everybody's looked at the numbers and looked at the program and thought it was a good thing. Yeah, and you guys have done a lot of work. Yes, absolutely. And, and in fact, um, you know, the Silver Anvil competition, I would say, as I've looked at a number of other uh, non-PR awards programs, is mm-hmm. one of the most rigorous in terms of the amount of time required, not just in executing a successful program, but preparing an entry yes. that will convince judges that the uh, the program is uh, worthy of recognition. Oh, a- absolutely. To be honest with you, I actually just judged um, awards this past weekend. And the, the awards that I was actually, you know, the, the different entries that I was actually scoring, I wanted to, like, shake these people and say, oh, my goodness, you have such a good story to tell, but you are not including it in your entry. And, yes, it is, you know, it's very rigorous with a PRSA, but it does. It allows you to lay your story out. And then the nice thing is you also give back to a community you benefit from because, you know, all of your submissions are available over at the PRSA site. So they get to pick and choose and be able to see some winning tactics that they can employ for their success. Yep, that's great. Yeah, which is terrific. So I'm going to do a really quick program overview, and then we'll run through the program. So program overview. With more than 99,000 delivery vehicles logging 2 billion miles a year, not to mention the world's ninth largest airline, I think I'd like an invite on that. Um, UPS has a considerable carbon footprint, especially when you consider that it delivers 15.5 million packages and documents globally each and every day. And the company is absolutely transparent in reporting its carbon emissions. The data is supplied in the annual UPS corporate um, sustainability report. Further, when the businesses ask for data about carbon emissions associated with the packages, UPS delivers for them. The company gladly supplies the data. It was skyrocketing numbers of these requests that generated the need for a more aggressive communications program to inform customers that UPS is extremely focused on reducing excess emissions. And by turning up the volume, on reducing excess emissions. Oh, and by turning up volume on this story, a greener picture of UPS would emerge. A company with sophisticated technologies and a relentless 100-year focus on operational efficiency and substantiality, a company continually challenging itself to be more efficient, more responsible, and more sustainable. With this in mind, UPS and Fleischmann Hillard created together a sustained 2008 communications campaign to weave together nine discrete programs into a single tapestry of green hues. It was an effort to show how, quote, brown goes green. So let me guys, let me ask you guys a question. I mean, first and foremost, you know, you, you're a public company and you have to, you know, be able to um, demonstrate everything that you're doing. I mean, you're pretty much open to the public. Is this, is this, do you find this to be a difficult task? Actually, for UPS, <clears throat> we're probably in a better position than a lot of companies because we measure a lot of things and we have a lot of data in our operations. And finally, we're a really transparent company. We've always been kind of open to everything and everybody to let them know uh, what we're doing, particularly in the sustainability uh, area because we know that we have a big carbon footprint, um, and we know we do a lot of good things, too, so we want to make sure that we share that. Really, this need for, for talking about this has really um, been part of what we've always done, but lately it's really, really intensified. And it's intensified from our customers, which you mentioned. It's also intensified from uh, assessor groups and investor groups who want us to uh, 
tell a lot about what we're doing to um, to approach climate change and to address it through our operations. And then just as importantly are our employees, because our employees want to know that they're working for a company that is responsible and is doing the right thing. So the reporting part of it is, is just part of what we would do anyway. And, Absolutely. And I, so. I would add, um, add to that, one of the things that's been um, uh, great about UPS is, as Lynette mentioned, the company reports and, and, and records all pieces of data. And so from a PR perspective, uh, it's one thing to say we are green. It's an entirely different thing altogether to actually have statistics that prove how you are going green. And that's what made this program so strong was UPS's ability to supply data that showed how its various programs are helping to reduce emissions or reduce paper or you know, uh, reduce the environmental footprint of the company overall. Right, which I mean, quite honestly, your comp- you know, the, the type of company that UPS is would consider would be considered to be something that is very difficult to go green. So I mean, I think that you guys are, you know, really sort of like holding the gauntlet, if you will, to show other companies that it is easy to make some easy changes that not only will help green, but at the end of the day, also save some money too. Yeah, exactly, and that's what we call it. Um lean is green, that efficiency is really ultimately is about using resources wisely. And that's what environmentalists want. They want us to use resources wisely, whether it's water, whether it's it's um, the way that we transport things, whatever natural resource that you think about. Absolutely. So let's talk about the research that went into this, because you, you, you got a ton of response from your customers saying, you know, what are you doing? Oh, my God, you're flying all of these planes all day long, you know, tons of carbon emission. You know, we've got our, you know, our generation to think about and the generations of those to come. And, oh, my goodness, UPS is contributing to, you know, the ozone layer decay and all of this stuff. So let's talk about the research and helping to create the foundation for moving forward. Right. Last year, uh, we had been seeing an incremental increase in the number of customer requests on this topic, but last year it really peaked. It increased 243%. And um, what was happening is that customers were asking us questions about our sustainability program and also specifically on our environmental performance, and they were asking them all different size companies, all different kinds of requests, everything from uh, how can you help us green up our own supply chain to benchmarking against our own environmental practices to find out what we were doing right so they could introduce it into their own companies. And we also saw, interestingly enough, we saw a lot of multinationals based in Europe. They were really the ones who were asking the most detailed questions. And then we saw it from small companies. We saw it from large companies. We saw it across all different industry groups. So we knew we had a good basis to reach out to our customers because the, and through the media and, and through other integrated communications to make sure that they knew what we were doing so that they knew that we were the green choice when they were choosing transportation and supply chain services. So let's go into the planning stage. How do you go? I mean, my goodness, you guys are such a massive company. How do you, how do you solidify this information and then plan and create the right strategies? Well, um, the, the, one of the key things, and I touched on this earlier, um, was really trying to identify in every program that we publicized uh, that, those statistics that would interest reporters and show 
we are actually having an impact. Um, that was uh, absolutely critical. When you're reaching out to journalists, and, 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 and of course, we are not the only company reaching out to journalists to tell a green story. Right. Um, what really separates the stories that are worthy of actual coverage from those that uh, those pitches that perhaps don't make it, um, you know, past the uh, the delete key, uh, is to really show that this is a program that has quantifiable results in terms of uh, a reduction in environmental impact. For instance, um, UPS had a program. Uh, it still does, where it's a route planning program. It's a technology the company has that uh, it maps out through software the routes that drivers will take each day as they deliver packages. And the, the, the planning on that, the route planning, helps to minimize the number of left turns that drivers make during the course of a day. This is important for a variety of reasons, one of which is safety, uh, as you know, when you're making a left turn, you are uh, essentially idling in an intersection, waiting for oncoming traffic to clear before uh, making your left. Um, what UPS found was if we could minimize the number of those left turns and instead um, have drivers make right turns, or if you think about it, do a clockwise route during the course of a day, that would not only uh, ensure increased safety, but also reduced emissions uh, because you are not idling, uh, just burning fuel, waiting for oncoming traffic to clear. Right. You have and momentum. so now, so when you think about that, you think that's very simple, very understandable. I get it. The beauty of UPS was they were able to back that up with actual statistics. For instance, um, minimizing the left turns uh, shaves nearly 30 million miles a year from driver routes. Um, wow. That's like 60 round trips to the moon. Um, it reduces <laughs> emissions by 32,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide. Uh, that's the equivalent of removing 5,200 passenger cars from roadways for an entire year. And it saves 3 million gallons of gas per year. Having those statistics is what helped us uh, take this story over the goal line with journalists because it was, it was actually not a claim, it was a supported claim. That's amazing. And, you know, That's I will funny. say from a PR uh, practitioner perspective, <clears throat> the Fleshman team and my team here, we really had to, that's a lot of work to get to those kind of numbers. This was a, this is talking to engineers who, who want to tell you everything about a technology and finding the little nuggets inside a lot of um, engineer speak and a lot of technology speak. Uh, it takes a lot of work and a lot of skill. So I, th I think the team's done a great job of kind of pulling out quirky things that people can relate to on a topic that can be pretty complicated. Well, and you know what? I think that's really, you know, listeners, I think that is such an important point because I think people can get bogged down with a bunch of laborious numbers. But when you can boil it down to something that everybody can identify with, that, make, that makes a difference. That makes a difference. That makes that's inspiring, and that is what you know. Obviously, or hopefully, makes a decision between someone doing business with you versus someone else. And you know, the, one of the other examples that we've cited in our in our submission was the whole idea of reducing idling. One of the things, if you'll notice, when a when a UPS package car is in your block and it's sitting there for a while, um, it's going to be off. And the reason for that is not because it might get stolen, although that's true in some areas, but it's also because 
as being able to turn off that engine reduces the amount of emissions. And again, going back to our numbers, um, five minutes a day of, of idling can emit as much as 300 pounds of CO2 in a year. And so for us, that, that stopped huge amounts of uh, pollution, and it also uh, stopped pollution in, in the neighborhood and the quality of the air in the places where we operate. So it has a community benefit as well. And I, just as, a, as an added point, one of the things we've been doing on our philanthropy side is finding ways to tell this story for the benefit of others. So we did a joint project with the Earth Day Network, and we're now teaching schools and uh, parents all around the world, actually, because UNICEF just picked up the project. Um, they're going to be teaching people to turn off their engines when they're lined up in, the, in front of the schools. So, again, we're just replicating the information that we have and spreading it to the world. That is so terrific. And, you know, I'm listening to this interview, and it's really silly, but I always call it, we live in Florida, and I always call Florida the land of the no left turns. <laughs> because, you know, and now I'm thinking, you know, that's a positive thing. You know, when I'm cursing, sitting at a light, and I can't make a left-hand turn. Exactly. <laughs> you need to go right. I need to go right. This is a very positive thing. Okay, so let's talk. Let's let's continue to talk. I mean, because really, there were there were nine programs that you instituted, um, you know, internally that also garnered you a lot of a lot of press and a lot of other companies joining on board with you. Yes, there were. Um, as I mentioned, there was, um, you know, the minimization of left turns uh, to reduce emissions. Uh, mm -hmm. Throughout the year, um, the company, UPS, um, deployed a number of eco-friendly vehicles, alternative fuel vehicles. And, you know, um, it, it, it's important to point out right here when I talk about alternative fuel vehicles that this is, you know, environmental stewardship and sustainability is not a new concept for UPS. In fact, the company's been... Uh, uh, working with and deploying alternative fuel vehicles, I think, Lynette, since the 1930s. That's wow. right. Our first all-electric vehicle was in the 1930s in New York City. Yeah, but you know what? Information's power, and if people don't know what you're doing... Right. You so, know, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's great that you're doing it. It's unfortunate that we're a very... It, it, I think it's fortunate that we're a transparent society and that the consumer is becoming a lot more savvy, and they want to understand if they're going to do business with you that they're doing business with people that are doing good works. Right. And so, um, you know, in, in 2008, last year, the company uh, deployed c compressed natural gas vehicles, uh, placed an order for hybrid, ele uh, hybrid electric vehicles, um, and it also did an announcement uh, in October about a new technology, hydraulic hybrid technology for its package cars, which... Uh, which was a nice bookend to the year of, of programs um, showcasing uh, the company's commitment to alternative fuel vehicles, to new technologies, and to finding uh, a technology that would really have a, a positive commercial impact uh, when you start to deploy such technologies in a, in a, uh, a fleet. So that was in October uh, of 2008, and that was um, uh, a program that had a, a, a traditional news conference, but a non-traditional uh, live stream of that news conference <coughs> on a uh, environmental website called TriplePundit.com, and it was the first time that not only did UPS live stream a news conference that way, uh, in such a way with a, a, a third-party partner like Triple Pundit, but it was the first time Triple Pundit did such an event. 
And that really enabled us to expand the reach of a news conference. As you know, a traditional news conference is really only accessible by those people locally. In that particular area, you know, yeah. In that market. But with mm-hmm. uh, a live web stream, uh, we were able to uh, extend that beyond to, uh, to other interested parties. Now, and one of the interesting things about Triple Pendant is that they have a lot of connections to a lot of other online sites such as greenbiz.com. So not only did we get coverage there, we got it picked up along a lot of different kinds of online media too. Now, was there an interactive capability to that where people were watching the live stream but then able to, you know, post questions or, um, or interact with each other? No, the live stream was was just that. It was a, you know the live being able to watch the video and the the commentary um, during the news conference itself. And the news conference itself also was not just a strict traditional um, you know uh, announcement of 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 the adoption or the the you know the deployment of uh, hydraulic hybrid vehicles. It was actually uh, also included kind of a roundtable discussion about the future of commercial adoption of alternative fuel vehicles. So we broadened it to be not just um, you know uh, a traditional news conference, but more of a roundtable discussion, a panel discussion with experts in alternative fuel vehicle technologies. Which I think and is important. One of the, some of those partners were Eaton Corporation, which is the manufacturer, and it was also the EPA because the EPA was we used their laboratory to do some of the initial testing on this vehicle, and then we did the on-road testing for the EPA and for the manufacturer. So then you get third-party endorsement as well because you have a government agency talking about your leadership. Oh, amen. You know, if you can get a governing force in a specific arena or a specialist in a specific arena, people are going to pay attention, and it does. Without them having to say it, it does come off as a third-party endorsement, which instills confidence. And then, of course, confidence instills them doing either business with you or yet hopefully more business with you. What were the numbers? Like, what, what numbers did you find, and were there a long and short tail when it came to the live stream? Let me see. I believe... Um the um, in terms of media coverage, uh, just media coverage of the uh, announcement itself, uh, of all things, all in uh, generated 6.3 million impressions of the just the hydraulic hybrid vehicle news conference in October 2008. But what was um, what com reported to us was that um, 1,100 online visitors to the site watched the. Um, to the, the, the live stream of the news conference. So we looked at it as to say, you know, we reached, um, you know, the reporters and the journalists we invited from the Atlanta area, as well as a tripletoppundit.com uh, blogger also made the trip down to Atlanta for the news conference uh, to cover it himself. Um, but knowing that we were able to reach 1,100 other people uh, made it a, a very valuable um, uh, uh, news conference for us. Absolutely. One of the other fun things to watch after that conference is when you'd be scanning to see what kind of bloggers picked it up or who picked up the, the link, mm-hmm. you could see other people with commentary building on and on about, oh, gee, this is a great thing UPS does. I had no idea they do that. So that, that was fun, too. Yeah, which is phenomenal because, and they're promoting you. So not only are you getting the lift from the live stream and you're getting the third-party endorsement from the ERA, but now you're also including the community in, you know, you know, an extra community that maybe you wouldn't have reached out to. And it's sort of like that, that old TV commercial, you know, and so on and so on and so on, you know, which is important. 
Yeah, and the the other thing I thought was interesting, um, well, we got traditional media, too, and sometimes they saw it online and then picked it up later. And then another kind of interesting twist uh, media that, that glommed onto this and actually used that information a couple of times was the Weather Channel, and that's not something you put in your mind right away as a, as a media target, but it sure worked for us. Yeah, that's terrific. So, so talk to me about your involvement with the, with the Weather Channel. Well, I don't know if you know it, but the Weather Channel is based in Atlanta, so mm-hmm. it's right around, right in the neighborhood, and they brought folks out, and uh, some of the, all the reporters who went there, but particularly the Weather Channel guy, really wanted to ride in the package car. That's kind of a big draw for people. They've always wanted to ride in a package car, so we uh, we let people take take rides on this hydraulic hybrid, and in the back, rather than having the package things, you have a glass floor, so you can see how the, the different kind of... Um, uh, technology is put into the vehicle. So it was kind of a nerdy um, thing that people really like to come out to, and the Weather Channel guy was just fascinated with, with cars and the technology behind it. I think that's awesome. I think that's really fun. I mean, you really it sounds to me like you really planned something that appealed to every type of audience to engage them. I mean, that's terrific. And that's, it was a direct, the messaging was direct to us um, addressing climate change in a responsible way. That's the message pull through that you wanted for this program. Which is important. Now let's talk about, you know, more online campaigns that you did. Because, I mean, those, you know, when we, when we talk online, we obviously have, no, you know, there's no borders. It's, you know, for the most part accessible and open to everyone. What are some of the other, um, you know, campaigns that you employed online? Well, really, for us, um, our programs are so integrated now that online editorial outreach, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, is, 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 I mean, it's, it's now part of our DNA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, oftentimes, you know, in PR, you, you know, as you're preparing an announcement or, or, or any other number of tactics, one of the um, standard operating procedures is to develop a media list. Well, for us, um, you know, and for our work with UPS, a media list is, is not just traditional journalists. Um, online sites, uh, bloggers, and others are, I mean, it's, it's just by default, they're included. So we don't really break out a specific online tactics because it's, it's just, it's part of what we do. I mean, for us, that's what okay. PR is. Um, okay. So all of our programs included those online elements, that online editorial outreach, uh, every single one of the programs. We also have an online press room at UPS, and we have RSS feeds that um, we have a a growing list of followers, if you will, and then we have Twitter, too. So so we push stuff out a lot under the – for environmental issues in particular, that is the primary way that people get information about uh, sustainability issues. So we make sure that we cover all the bases there. There's a reoccurring theme, the fact that almost all the programs that you instituted really did – enroll and engage people to part, you know, to help participate in the common goal. People got to say, you know what, like UPS is out there. They're part of our daily life. They're part of our daily fabric. Whether or not we use them, we still see their trucks everywhere. And they're doing something to make a difference. We can adopt and do this. And, you know, and people do. I think people want the opportunity to be like, to be a part of a community, right? So if you're doing a race and you're a mechanic, I can show up and I can help. And I can also see something cool like, Oh my God! I've never heard of a solar race before. I can participate. That's fun. Yeah, and another one that we did was we were really trying to get people to start using electronic billing, so we didn't have to send them paper bills. 
so we tied in with um, the uh, National Arbor Day Foundation to to get, try to get them to convert to paper uh, away from paper, and so that kind of tie in with an again with a third party was was really effective, and we got we got publicity for it at the same time, and people learned about how they personally if they if they're responsible for shipping a letter at their front desk or uh, shipping packages in their mail room that they can make a decision in their own companies. And that works for all different size companies, too. Uh, absolutely. You know what? I think these are, you know, I really commend you. It's, it was a massive undertaking because you didn't just do one, you know, event or one project that culminated in your nomination. You guys did a ton of research, nine different initiatives that I think have snowballed into probably more than you would want to use the paper for, but are absolutely um, programs that you can be very proud of. We wish you the very best of luck with your nomination come June. Thank Thank you you so much. You have been listening to our exclusive coverage of the 2009 ERSA Silver Anvil Awards, only on webmasterradio.fm. 